Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Gail. And hello, I'm Catherine. We're delighted to welcome you to today's episode of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Our signature is featuring women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who lead lives that illustrate inspiring ways to learn, contribute, and make a difference as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest will focus on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. We are really excited to shine the spotlight today on Yukiko Ino, who was born and raised in Kobe, Japan. Yukiko was educated as a young adult in America. She attended the City College University of New York, where she received a Bachelor of Science degree in Chemical Engineering. After working for several years in her field, she decided to follow her strong inner calling as a healer and facilitator and went to Japan to study with a leading Japanese Zen yoga master at the foot of Mount Fuji. Yukiko was always drawn to the idea of elevating human potential and personal development through spiritual mind-body training. Her vision is to have new kinds of leaders around the world who are both educated and empowered in the body, mind, spirit, and finances. Yukiko, welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you so much, Gail and Catherine. It's so wonderful to meet with you. Thank you. you. I'd like to start by asking you briefly to describe what it felt like to leave your country and start over in America, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us. Right. I think that everyone has different personal experience. And I'm discovering also that there are about um, 14% of people who live in America were not born in America, I found out. So there are a lot of people who are not first at first hand experience living in America, like 45 million of them. So I'm actually one of them too. But my experience certainly was very personal, and I took it personally. I was um, in the ninth grade, and I was loving my school, my school events. It's a very uh, group-oriented culture where I come from. And uh, I was a popular girl. I was doing well in school. I was into activities. So when my mother said, your father was just promoted to be the vice president of New York division. And are we going to America? Mm. And I quietly asked, how long are we going? Can I stay here in Japan? She was happier and then happier. And then she said, four years. And then my heart really dropped. Mm. I had a new boyfriend and I really didn't want to leave Japan. So um, six months later, I was in America. And then, of course, the first shock is am I not being able to really understand and use English well, even though I had learned English 
in middle school for three years, starting this is a book, that is a book type of education. <laughs> so um, I think I was totally uprooted. I wasn't aware of all the psychological uh, situations involved, but I definitely lost my identity. I felt I couldn't express myself. That was the hardest for me, that no one really knew how I felt and then what I could say. And I was just one of many Japanese people. There were Japanese people in the community I moved to, which was uh, in the Bronx, near New York City proper. And there were many Japanese people who came with their family. So I really worked hard in school and tried to make lots of friends and tried to do well in school. And uh, I actually enjoyed going to weekend places with my parents and I have brother and sister. So we got to go around and experience America as it did. So my heart was warming up to America. I enjoyed it after a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, time goes on and then my parents were going back to Japan and they said, of course, I have to go back to Japan and I wanted to finish college in America. So I um, made sure that uh, I could finish one year of college and then transfer to a university in America, in, in Japan. So, um, so I uh, decided that uh, my parents weren't going to support me beyond that. So I made a little plan, conspired to stay in America. So I got a living babysitting job with a very prestigious people who are living on Central Park West. The, the head of the household was um, chief editor, photographic editor of Life magazine, which no longer exists, but Time and Life magazine. So I got to uh, meet and then be involved in that high society in America and then live with American families. So that was very interesting for me. And then I finished college. What made you think to even do that, Yukiko? To I, try to, to get a job that way? Well, I knew that the, I, I needed a visa. So I needed a sponsor, mm. student visa. Yeah. And uh, I also didn't know that I could financially make it. So I chose City College of New York because it was tuition free then. So throughout my college, all I had to pay was for, uh, for textbooks and um, registration fee. So then my room and board was taken care of. So, um, you know, I managed. And uh, it wasn't easy because um, the family wanted me to babysit quite a bit. And then my, uh, um, yeah, it just, it just was... Uh, a little hard, you know, I didn't have that much freedom. But then uh, I really was able to graduate as the only female student out of 1,000 students graduating in the engineering division of City College of New York. And then I realized, you know, I was just beginning to 
grab onto my identity and who I am more, and then that I could turn around my being Japanese as a strength rather than feeling like, oh, you know, I'm not one of the Americans kind of feeling. So when we had a um, job interview, three other guys were involved and they were A-plus students. And I was not an A-plus student, but I had a lot of guts somehow developed being the Japanese woman, though I'm not quite sure how I did that. So I was actually hired over them, and I started to work in Manhattan as a chemical engineer, one of the women engineers at the firm. So that was a very interesting experience. And uh, then I worked for several years as a chemical engineer. And that was uh, very wonderful to get to know the corporate structure and then there are not just Americans, but Indians and different people. Because after all, New York City is a melting pot. And I really was grateful that I was in America. You must have had some real inner strength in order to say goodbye to your parents and know that you were going to do this on your own. I, I just felt just because I was a girl, I had to come to America you know, with them. And just because I was a girl, I had to go back with them twice being uprooted was a little too much, <laughs> I guess. You know, Yukiko, I'm in your bio, you say after working in a corporate environment for several years, which you just talked about, I decided to follow my strong inner calling as a healer and facilitator. Yeah. Tell us what that's about. How did you, how did you come to realize that was your inner calling? Well, I was beginning to get very interested in healthier way of living, eating better. So there was an um, organic store, the first one, health food store that really carried mostly organic produce in um, in the Upper West Side. And I was one of the um, members who joined. Mm -hmm. And um, then while I was working as an engineer, I developed just a situation where I wasn't feeling well. I went to a doctor and he said, oh, it's just a stress. It was not when we really knew much about stress, you know, stress. And he gave me some tranquilizer and then mm -hmm. I started to twit. My eyes started to twitch. I said, oh, medication doesn't work for me. So I started to look for different alternatives. And then I, I was interested in yoga at that time. And then just more like a meditation. I just was interested in those things. Mm -hmm. And uh, also I wanted to get back into my heritage a little bit more of you know, being Japanese and what it's like. And I happened to meet this leading Zen yoga master who was doing a lecture series in New York and I translated for him. So he invited me to go to his um, yoga ashram. So this was happening all around that same time. And how old were you by this time? Probably about... 20 mid 20s mm -hmm. oh no a little bit older maybe maybe about 28 29 i was just 
I was not 30 yet. Okay. Yeah. At that time, when I decided to go to um, Japan, I was, um, yeah, I was about 29. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just left many things in other people's care. And I just left. Hmm. And you were able to leave the work that you were doing. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I kind of wrapped up um, what I was doing. And I was already actually teaching some workshops. And uh, um, I had a friend who was um, very influential. And then he used to be writing us center column for a month weekly magazine called the village voice at that time we don't have that anymore so he he wrote about what i was doing mm -hmm. and then i i was able to get like 50 students in my workshop and then that was really a nice start <laughs> so did when you came back did you did you immediately come back from japan after uh studying the yoga master i was uh, there for a good two years so it was a very interesting experience of it's it was a large yoga uh, ashram mm -hmm. they called it dojo and then there were many people who were ill and then needed to be healed through um the method of fasting and then yoga practices and just living changing lifestyle completely and then acupuncture and then different Japanese um, Asian treatments. So uh, I experienced uh, people, I witnessed people who were told they were going to die from cancer in 1976, 77, 78. They were healed completely. Mm. So that was amazing. And mm. then I came back to America and then started a... Uh, a center and then start to teach on a weekly basis and then and then also uh weekend places and then i also traveled to europe to teach workshop connected with um other people who are interested in holistic health and then participated in their retreat and um their weekend workshops hmm you and I had a conversation, and you you talked about sustainable farming. Oh, yes. Tell me more about that. Well, that's a little bit later. When I was uh, married to, um, I had a few marriages, and, uh, and then so this husband of mine, second marriage, uh, he was very much uh, interested in starting farming. He was um, real estate. His background was real estate. He owned some buildings in the um, near George Washington Bridge. Mm -hmm. So I, I met him through work and different, different social setups. And uh, we got married. And I had, uh, by then, two young children. And um, it was his dream. And then... The funniest thing was as independent uh, as I may sound, <laughs> when I got married, I started to get very traditional. I really felt my husband's dream was my dream as well. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I, in a way, kind of quote unquote subjugated where my deepest de desire or passion was and then said, okay, you want to farm? Great, let's farm, you know? So uh, we leased the place, bought a lot of um, machinery, devices, and I did a lot of marketing. And then we started to farm in New Jersey. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then that was a orga certified organic farm, five acres. And do you have anything to do with that today? No, no, no. Unfortunately, uh, the marriage ended after about 10 years, and then uh, he was not really interested in doing that anymore. So, uh, and uh, financially, it's very difficult to make it work on a five-acre farm in New Jersey. <laughs> it sounds but, but we did, um, the first month, we made $10,000 mm -hmm. on income. That was unheard of. So we were celebrated. But there were a lot of lessons I learned. And then one of the things in a spiritual way was that, you know, we, our personal development and spirituality really came together for me. As much as we make plans and then execute plans and work hard, do our best, there is such thing as nature and the weather. <laughs> and we can't control everything. Right. And yet, we still have to work hard and then we do things, then the process of life takes, back, takes on, on its own. So then there was always the question of nature and the, this process or the law of the universe and what people do, take actions we take. For example, um, all the seas, do not germinate, only about 75%. And then sometimes people just broadcast and put seeds and then lots of um, things sprouts. But if you just kept it that way, you cannot grow things uh, commercially or whatever. So you have to thin things out. So, you know, then you have to hide, fight the weather to extend the coldness what do you do at the front end? You know, start with the greenhouse. Or over winter time, you would use material to cover your, your um, earth. Stuff like that. So it's, it's really, I learned about the stewardship of the land, which in some ways, biblical way, is really honoring God or the universe's offering to us. Mm. And, um, you know, we have to guard and protect and manage all the wonderful resources given by the Creator. I'm not necessarily a religious person, you know, but really that sense, something beyond us, that I really felt that on the land, being on the land. So that was an amazing experience I had. Mm -hmm. And then you, you moved on again into what? 
my next step was um, I did several things, but and then I started to go back to teaching again. I had this incredible experience one day, I think, as um, this husband of mine uh, decided that he would move out and, uh, you know, file, file for a divorce. And I was very distraught about that. And uh, I said, maybe I will end my life. You know, it mm. just was, it was, I was not a suicidal person, but I just felt just a little bit like that. So I took out the knife, put it on my wrist. Then suddenly a picture of my mother appeared in front of me, this sharp kitchen knife, cutting, chopping up vegetables to prepare a meal for um, her family. And I said, oh, you know, she was in her generation from her culture. She could be just a housewife and the mother, and then that was fine. And she was happy and content, and she did her best. And that was the art, you know, cooking and she was very happy and then satisfied, even though she was just an ordinary woman. No, nothing spectacular, no writing books or publishing books or, you know, giving workshops or leadership. Then I said, well, you know, that's the time. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I have to do something about this. <laughs> that's from my computer. Okay, so... Um, so what did you do? You didn't. You obviously did not commit suicide. For which no, no. I, I just, I just said at that time I was um, subtly subjugating myself to my ex-husband, who wanted to do farming and different things like that. So I said, you know, I'm going to go back and do what I'm really passionate about, what my calling is. So I went back to teach and train in yoga and then started to do workshops again mm -hmm. and cultivated that passion of mine and continued with it. I have a question for you um, yeah. so mm -hmm. about the body, mind, spirit. Mm -hmm. As you, for you, are those separate entities that somehow become integrated or do you have a more holistic are they are they separable how do you think about oh that is that is such a wonderful question uh and uh i think what my belief is a little bit different is um for example, what's the difference between the soul and spirit or is the mind and soul, you know, all that has been practiced and studied and then argued for a long, long time. To put it simply, body, I honor the body's wisdom. And then it's through, the body is like the temple of everything. And then it's through the body that we, we can experience our mind, and then higher being. So people think of mind as the conscious mind and subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. But there's also the super consciousness. So that is where 
we are connected with the universal principles, or you can call it God. So there are these dimensions that are just not just us, the person. That's where we really connect. And uh, for me, the difference between the spirit and soul is that a sp spirit is a universal entity. But the soul connects and then individualized in a person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, you can feel someone's spirit and the energy, but the soul is really takes on your character and develops you and then it guides you to connect with the others and then connect to, with um, more of teachings of the universe. And it's, it, yeah, it's the soul or the spirit that really receives blessings. And so for me, go ahead. Mm -hmm. yeah, so for me, just personal development itself got too much into the mind, mm -hmm. conscious mind versus subconscious mind. It was always about me as a person, this person in this body. But when we really incorporate the body and spirit, the body begins to experience mm -hmm. the universe's energy more. So as we breathe, it is not just oxygen or the air itself we breathe, but the energy of the universe goes through, with, through in and out of us as well. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the sense of connection I have with body, mind, and spirit. Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. And then how did you, so then you began to think about leadership. I know you have strong feelings around that. How does this all connect? Well, the leadership really uh, begins with, I guess, when I lost identity of myself, you know, I, I wasn't sure. And then I think it happens to many people who come to America, they kind of, feel a little bit ashamed. They are not like so-called Americans and they may be discriminated against. So they want to be like the primary culture person. You know, mm -hmm. if you're black, you want to be a um, whitish person. If your hair's too curly, you want to straighten it. If your hair's straight, you want to curl it up. You know, right? And uh, you want to make the skin white and or tan, whatever. So it's always external things that we we are talking about. And uh, then the ego sets in. So especially in in our age, where internet marketing and, and digital marketing have blossomed, and people became very successful financially. You know, their leadership became the power, money, status, positions, and, you know, and the degrees, all that became the leaders. So we have many empty leaders um, trying to govern and control others, making decisions for us. But the leadership is about being of service to others or impact people 
so that they can transform and uh, have breakthroughs and get all the self-limiting beliefs. So how can we work together to make the world a better place for every, everyone? So is that the kind of work that you're doing now? I do that too. I have been um, trained and then really studied Napoleon Hill's work quite a bit. I worked with um, Bob Proctor, and I'm a licensed coach by him too. But um, that sense of success that everybody's seeking when Napoleon Hill said, but without violating the rights of others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So John Maxwell says, you know, servant leader. Yes. So how, how may I serve? So that's the leadership that I have been breaking, um, progressing into. Yes. More and more. And then it's so important that, you know, we, we work with mentors and coaches to develop ourselves. And then if we are coaches and then mentors to others that we so when I was just a teacher or trainer uh, I wanted to teach principles like a school teachers the difference between great teacher and a regular teacher teachers just give subject matter or teach principles math great really great teachers really connect with people in their heart, more heart-centered, so that they actually impact people's thoughts, perception, and the direction and the vision in their life. So I think the leaders ultimately really serve and inspires, inspire others to do the same. For sure. Do you uh, have any thoughts about continuing to work or not, or a as you get older now? You know, it's it's really. May I share something with you, Gail? When I was in the um, new media workshop, and I said, "Oh, women over seventy. I never thought of myself like that. Well, it's been like two years, but I never thought of myself like." Oh, women over 70. Oh, that's me, you know? <laughs> and uh, in a way, because I think of aging as, um, aging as accumu accumulating wisdom and that we have so much experience as we get older, especially if someone is conscious and then want to be more aware and then, you know, uh, to, to be connected with others more and then of service to others. And then just big curiosity to learn more. And then also in farming, I learned humility so much, being humble. It wasn't like what I did and I worked hard that was not going to be just a part of success. I have to work with something called nature. Not too much, didn't it? <laughs> so um, I realized more and more, you know, um, how important it is. 
Well, I am so happy that you approached me at the New Media Summit in San Diego and that we got to know each other. And Catherine and I are just delighted that you have have shared your story with with all of our listeners. We know they're going to learn so much from you. Well, you know, uh, you and Kathleen have opened me up to the world of how may I serve? You know, lots of people are talking about anti-aging or don't get old. So it's all, if you think about it, it's like all the wrinkles, skin, surface things. Yes. Or change your life hairstyle, right? <laughs> or wear a certain clothes, isn't it? Or just do a little exercise so you'll be a little bit straighter. <laughs> that's, that's the way that people think of anti-aging. <laughs> but on the other side of it is when we can really reclaim and revitalize and then really take care of our soul, the body, and then, you know, the personal development side, mind side, conscious, mm -hmm. subconscious, yeah. all that. Yes. We don't wrinkle as much. <laughs> we don't have body pains as much. <laughs> we won't have all that so-called aging things happen to us as much. You know, I'm bold to say, like, you can really prevent cancer, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. or you can heal cancer without lots of surgery. But, you know, that, that's aside. Right. Taking that aside. So when we get older, what takes over is not slowing down or body getting a little stiffer or increasing a little bit more pain or whatever, but actually that wisdom takes over and then it's starting to shine even more. And in Japan, we have a um, very interesting thing called, you know about living treasurer? The people who are designated as national living treasurer, mm -hmm. treasure, sorry, treasure living treasure those are like um kabuki actors traditional you know uh -huh. theater dance actors or craftsmen who have mastered their skills so much and they are living live treasure mm -hmm. so so that's what so, we all are yeah we are yeah. It, uh, it just really you know aging is a wonderful thing and uh we don't, we, yeah, being young isn't like trying to go out with someone 20 years younger or get a big sports car and then drive around, you know, right. for men. Yeah, it's, it's totally different idea. Yes. Well, this has been just delightful. On that note, I'm living treasures. I, I love that. I, yes. Yes. We may quote you. <laughs> it is. We are all our living treasure. We must celebrate each year we get a little bit older. No question about it. Yeah. And we'll have to leave it there. And again, thank you so much for being on Women Over 70. We appreciate you very much, Yukiko. Oh, you have really opened my eyes and then uh, more insight into how I may serve people. So thank you so much. I'm so grateful to 
get to know you a little like this. You're very, very welcome. And, uh, thank you. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please connect with us on Facebook at Women Over 70. Ask questions, start or add to the conversations. Suggest topics you'd like to hear more about. Invite your friends, family, and colleagues to join in. We welcome conversations across the generations. You can access our weekly podcast Wednesdays at womenover70.com. And if you know a woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website. Thanks to the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at DePaul University for use of the recording space. See you next week on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.